A valiant comeback attempt fell just short, and the Gonzaga Bulldogs are once again in very unfamiliar territory. They need to win in Las Vegas, or they're going to risk missing the NCAA tournament. You are Locked on Zags, your daily podcast on the Gonzaga Bulldogs. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. What is going on, y'all? Welcome in for Locked On Zags Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host and longtime Gonzaga podcaster, Andy Patton, here to provide news and updates on all things Zag athletics, even on days like today after a tough, tough loss for Gonzaga. Today's episode of Locked On Zags is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, folks, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. So visit FanDuel.com slash on today to get started. Well, folks, for those of you who want to stick it out, we are ending the show today talking about a 2025 prospect. Gonzaga is interested in a big man out of New Zealand. That is our palate cleanser to end the show this week. But we got to talk about this game Thursday night, recording this shortly after Gonzaga falls a road loss to Santa Clara, the first time Santa Clara has beat Gonzaga since 2011. Mark Few still stuck on 699 career wins. Thought this was the opportunity for him to get to number 700. And for a while, it looked like the Zags were going to pull it off. Uh, They were down by double digits for a huge chunk of the first half for a lot of the first part of the second half made a tremendous comeback to get back into the game, take the lead, hold on to the lead for most of the end of the game. Unfortunately, Ryan Nembhard missed the front end of a one and one at the end of the game. Adama ball, excuse me, comes down the floor, gets the and one bucket and that seals the deal for the Zags. Really, really tough one. A couple of things we'll talk about here. We talked about this after the San Diego State game, thought that was going to be the end of Gonzaga's streak being an AP top 25 ranked team. They managed to stay in the top 25 for a couple more weeks. That streak is going to come to an end, even with the carnage that has been college basketball this week. For those who have not been paying attention, number one, number two, number three, and number five all lost in a 24-hour period. Number nine lost, Oklahoma Marquette. Number 11 lost, Colorado State lost to Boise State. There has been a tremendous number of top 25 ranked teams losing to unranked opponents on the road. It has been a trend this entire week. Gonzaga unfortunately fell victim to that same trend, but they will not be a top 25 team. That is less of the concern. The concern now is the concern we had after the San Diego State game and is now more palatable than it's been in a long time. Gonzaga's winner go home. They're automatic qualifier or bust territory. The WCC is a one-bid league. There's pretty much no other way to look at it right now. Gonzaga's got to win in Las Vegas in the WCC tournament or else. Their streak of making the NCAA tournament, which has been around since as long as Mark Few has been the head coach of the Bulldogs, that streak could come to an end if they don't win in Vegas. This is it. You know the situation. You know the deal. you still got two months to figure it out work on your stuff, find a way to get some more consistent outside shooting. Uh, that's been the huge, huge issue for Gonzaga this season. They've had some main issues, but that's that's it. Two of 20, 10% from three in this game. Braden Huff hit one at the end of the first half. Ryan Nembhard hit one in the second half. That was it. Two of 20 from three. 
That's the biggest issue. Defensively, Gonzaga played well. They had some sloppiness in the second half at times. Graham E.K. had a bad game. Uh, he got in foul trouble, some kind of phantom foul calls. It wasn't uh, in any way, shape, or form the result or the, the cause of Gonzaga's loss. I don't want to get into that territory, but it was unfortunate that Graham was not able to play as much in this game. Only had five points. Nolan Hickman, four points on one of nine shooting for him. Really bad game from Nolan Hickman. Uncharacteristically bad game from Graham E.K., uh, two of 20 from three that the Zags got out rebounded 27 to 11 in the first half of this game. 44 31 was the total rebounding advantage for Santa Clara. Gonzaga closed the gap there a bit in the second half, but it didn't matter. This team just got outworked. They just got outworked in a road game here and it sucks. I mean, it's frustrating. We've seen this team, you know, fall apart down the stretch against Washington. That was a tough loss. Uh, every other loss this year was somewhat defensible. The San Diego State loss was really hard to watch for a lot of the same reasons. Just never felt like they could quite get enough momentum to to pull away. UConn, Purdue, those were losses that are at least like, okay, those are two of the five best teams in college basketball. So we can kind of understand that a little bit more. But this one's tough. It feels a bit like the LMU loss last year. Just the struggles that we saw from the team all year last, again, last year were what kind of caused them to lose that game against LMU. It's the same situation here. We knew what Gonzaga's issues were. It's not like it was a mystery that Gonzaga is a bad three-point shooting team. It's not a mystery that they struggle to defend the perimeter at times. It's not a mystery that they don't have a lot of depth and they have fatigue issues. All those things are, are things we know, and yet they're seeming to not be able to overcome them. Now I want to shout out a couple positive things here because there were some positive things. And the number one thing a Herculean effort from Anton Watson. One of the best individual performances in terms of just putting a team on your back that we have seen in a long time. Drew Timmy did this. He did this at times, uh, but he rarely had to be as singularly impactful on a game as Anton Watson did in this one. 32 points for Anton Watson, 14 of 18 from the field. That's also four of four from the free throw line. Anton was unstoppable. In this game, he had nine boards, he had six steals. But the final play of the game was kind of a perfect encapsulation of everything. Watson gets a rebound, dribbles down the court, looks to try to pass it to somebody. There's nobody there. There's no help, nobody helping out Anton Watson. And that's the story of the game. Really nice game from Anton Watson, a, a, a jaw-dropping performance from him. Absolutely stunning how good he was at taking over this game and being the menace that Gonzaga needed him to be, but there just wasn't help. Braden Huff was there in the second half after drawing a lot of criticism from the fan base for not being uh, a player who plays well in good games or in big games. He did it in this game. He finished with 14 points, five rebounds, and two blocks. He was 6-10 of 10 from the field. When they needed him in the second half, when Graham E.K. had to sit for most of the second half with foul trouble, Braden Huff stepped up. That's a good sign for Gonzaga long-term. We'll see how much it matters this year but it's a good sign for Gonzaga long-term that he was able to be that guy. But at the end of the day, this is a game that Gonzaga's going to wish they had back. It's a game they could have won. It's a game they made this valiant effort to come back in, in a way that we've seen them do this to Santa Clara before, get down by 10, 15 points. They're down to by 15 to them last year, and they came back and won. We've seen them do it before. They just didn't have the horses this year. 
And that's unfortunately feels like it's going to be the story of the season. I'm not going to entertain some of the doomsday stuff that many people have said, or many people are saying it's a certain segment of the population, certain segment of the fan base. We're not going to talk about Mark Few's seat being on the hot seat. That is insane. Insane. Go talk to any fan of any other college basketball team and tell them you think Mark Few should be fired and hear how hard they laugh at you. It is a ridiculous sentiment at this point. Are there criticisms, Mark Few? Absolutely. Absolutely. It's not his fault Steel Ventures is hurt. It's not his fault his team can't shoot a three. There are things he can do to adjust some of that stuff, but the depth stuff, some of it, yeah, maybe he can work on some things. Maybe he can touch up some things. Maybe there's some recruiting mistakes that he's made. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that he's perfect. Of course not. But the idea that he shouldn't be the coach of this program anymore after they went to the Elite Eight last year, after they have an eight-game streak, uh, eight-season streak of making the Sweet 16, not going to entertain it. We're not going to get into that discussion. It is just a reactionary uh, segment of the fan base that is, is, is frankly a little bit too spoiled by this team's success to think something like that is, is even merits conversation about this Gonzaga team at this point. What I want to do now is I want to talk about our keys to a victory and what went wrong. We talked about some of it already. We're going to talk a little bit more about Dusty Stromer's performance. We're going to talk about Gonzaga's three-quarter court press. We're going to talk about the bench or lack thereof for Gonzaga. All coming up after a word from today's sponsor, FanDuel. As the weather gets colder, the college basketball offers, will they stay hot on FanDuel? And right now, new customers can get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 in your pocket if your team wins. So if you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time than right now to get in on the action. The app is super easy to use, and there is a wide range of betting options, which includes spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. The Lady Zags picked up a massive win over Santa Clara on Thursday. They're at negative 10,000 to 1 odds to win it all. And look, I'm, I think I'm taking those odds for this team right now the way they are playing. If you're with me, visit FanDuel.com slash locked on and get in on the action this college basketball season. FanDuel an official partner of the NFL. All right, folks, segment two here. Still Andy Patton, still locked on Zags, and we are still talking Santa Clara and the loss by the Gonzaga Bulldogs on the road on Thursday evening. What I want to do now is talk about the five keys to victory we laid out before the game and what went well and what did not go so well. We talked about some of them already in the first segment there, but uh, one of the big keys was was pounding the ball to Graham E.K. in the paint. And it was just not a factor in this game. You know, we talked about the fact Santa Clara is huge. Uh, they are the fifth tallest team in college basketball, according to Ken Palm's average height statistic. Fifth tallest in all of college basketball. But they're not a particularly good shot blocking team. And coming into this game, they statistically, they weren't a great rebounding team. And yet they decided to double Graham EK, which was a smart decision, a, t a decision that for some reason a handful of other teams in the WCC have not been making. And it worked. EK had to get rid of the basketball. There was a couple turnovers. Now, of course, as we mentioned, Anton Watson had a monster game. Part of that was because of the decision uh, by Santa Clara to double Graham EK. But he was mostly a non factor in this game. Now, the key was not give the ball to Graham E.K. The key was pound the ball in the paint. And at times, that really was effective for Gonzaga. Anton Watson did a lot of his damage operating on the low block. He did a lot of his damage spinning to the middle and getting little baby hook shots. He also did a lot of his damage in the second half on offensive rebounds. Braden Huff, most of his damage came 
uh, again, in post-up situations where he got the ball, he was able to get to his left hand and get some shots that way. So Gonzaga's low post offense was a strength in this game. The problem was, again, the lack of any other type of offense. Ryan Nembhard had some nice drives to the basket, but unfortunately this team was unable to really get the pick and roll action going. They weren't able to, to get into some ball screen situations that they like to do. So they were kind of forced to either uh, just make an entry pass and hope the post player can go to work uh, or shoot contested three-point shots, which weren't going in. The offense is, is disjointed right now. And Mark Few and the Zags are going to have to figure out a way to make that work because teams are just going under on screens, forcing Ryan Nempard to shoot threes. If he can't make them, the pick-and-roll offense is a base, basically non-existent. If that offense isn't there for Gonzaga, they're forced to rely on, on making entry passes in the paint. If Graham E.K. gets in foul trouble or is getting double-teamed, boom, all of a sudden you have a pretty stagnant offense. That's what we saw in this game. Uh, Gonzaga was able to make up for it by getting out in transition quite a bit, which leads into the second key, which was use the press to force turnovers and get easy buckets. Gonzaga didn't use the press a ton. They used it in the first half when they brought the three big lineup in. Uh, they had Anton at the front. They had Ben and Graham both in the game in the back, and they were able to use the press that time. But really, the while the press wasn't a big factor in this game, Gonzaga's ability to force turnovers and get out in transition, that was. That was a factor in this game, a positive factor for Gonzaga. There was 11 turnovers by Santa Clara in the first half. Gonzaga was one of... 12 or what I think it was one of 12 in the first half from three. They were not playing well offensively at all. And meanwhile, they were still in the game. They're only down six at halftime. And it was exclusively because Santa Clara kept turning the ball over. Gonzaga got out rebounded by 16 in the first half and missed uh, went one of 12 from three. Those two facts alone shouldn't have you in pretty much any basketball game. And yet they were two possessions away and they erased that lead in the second half and took a lead for a huge chunk of the, the second part of the second half until uh, they ended up squandering it at the end. But the reason for that was Gonzaga's tenacious defense in the first half. They played really hard. They forced a lot of turnovers. They got out in transition. Watson in particular had a lot of his buckets in the first half out in transition. The problem for Gonzaga, again, is that running this press and getting out in transition, it seems to be a, an issue of fatigue. They don't have the depth. They only played seven guys in this game. The five starters, Ben Gregg, Braden Huff, that's it. No guard depth whatsoever with Luka Krinovich hurt, of course, with Steel Venters hurt. Uh, Jun Suk Yo did not play in this game. We saw nobody else, just those seven guys. And you saw players fatigued at the end. You see it be an issue when somebody like Graham E.K. fouls out. The lack of depth on this team is going to be a significant problem for the rest of the season. There's no other way to look at it. And not being able to press as much as they want, even though it is effective, is one of many things that is being impacted by not having that depth. Another key was defending the perimeter. Another thing that can be more challenging when you are fatigued, and we saw that late in the game. The Zags' overall perimeter defense wasn't terrible in this game. Santa Clara missed 19 threes. They shot 32% from three. They led the conference at 37% coming into the game. Overall, Gonzaga's perimeter defense, you have to say, was fine. Nine of 28 for three from Santa Clara. The problem is it got bad at the end. Santa Clara was able to stay in the game either by continuing to build a small lead or every time Gonzaga tied the game or every time Gonzaga got a small lead, that was when Santa Clara hit a three. And a lot of them came in situations where Gonzaga's defense was out of position. They were a step slow on the rotation. It was an issue we saw from Gonzaga a lot last year where their rotations in transition defense in particular were just a step slow and guys got open threes. 
We saw that happen towards the end of this game. Adama Ball had a monster second half. He was really, really good in this game. He, he finished with 17 points on 7 of 16 shooting, 2 of 7 from 3. That doesn't sound like a super you know, big performance necessarily, but he was constantly able to get towards the rim. He was able to get into the paint, make things happen from there. Sometimes it was dropping off passes to Tilly or somebody else down on the block. Sometimes it was just rising up over the defender and getting a lay in that way. Either way, he was a menace all game long for Gonzaga. He was really difficult for them to defend. And ultimately his performance down the stretch is what caused Gonzaga to lose this game. Key number four was hoping that in the return to the state of California, his first time playing a college basketball game in his home state, that Dusty Stromer would have a huge game. He had the length on the perimeter to potentially be impactful against players like Adama Ball, like Carlos Marshall, like Tyree Bryan. And instead, Dusty Stromer didn't do it. He didn't get it done. I mentioned on Thursday's show that if Dusty doesn't score, it would be okay as long as he was impacting the game defensively, getting rebounds, knocking the ball loose, getting steals, helping Gonzaga get out in transition. Well, he didn't do any of that either. O of two from the field, two boards, that's it. Granted, he didn't play much. He, he didn't play huge chunks of the second half. He just, he didn't have it. He was a step slow defensively. There was one possession in particular where he just lost his guy who ended up getting a cross-court pass and hit an open three. It's freshman mistakes. It's freshman mistakes from a kid who is a freshman, a kid who wasn't expected to play this much. And I think that was something we talked about early in the year when we found out about the Steel Venters injury. Dusty looked good at the start of the season and people said, oh, you know, it's going to be okay that we don't have Steel. It's like freshmen hit a wall. Freshmen struggle. They're not going to be good every game. You want to be able to bring a freshman along more slowly. Gonzaga does not have that luxury. They're not able to do that this year. And you see in games like this why it is a problem. This team cannot rely on Dusty Stromer for 20 to 25 minutes a night. In the future, maybe as soon as next year, they probably will be able to. And that's going to be great because he's going to be good. I really believe he's going to be good. But he wasn't in this game. And road games for true freshmen are difficult. True road environment having a bigger role than he expected to. There's a lot of things that are causing these challenges for Dusty Stromer, but at the end of the day, Gonzaga doesn't have any other options. Mark Few does not feel that Yo is a better option for this team right now. Maybe he's wrong about that, but there's a reason he doesn't feel that he's the guy that comes into those games. But Dusty's not getting it done in ways that he needs to. He's making freshman mistakes. He's not contributing offensively. And I again, I'm okay with him not contributing offensively if he's bringing something on the defensive end, but in this game in particular, he didn't. His lack of contribution is not what cost Gonzaga the game, but it didn't help either. Key number five, we've touched on it throughout this entire conversation. We need more help from the bench. We're just not getting it. Braden Huff was great. Six points in the first half, eight points in the second half, finished with 14 points, five rebounds, six to 10 from the field. Really great performance from him. He blocked a couple shots. He was diving after loose balls. He was tough. He was physical. He did not look like he was being being pushed around by the or being impacted by the road environment he looked mature he looked like the player we've seen him be against the jackson states and the mississippi valley states this is one of the first times he showed up in a game like this and that is huge for gonzaga it is huge for gonzaga the rest of this season it is huge for gonzaga in the future it is hard to look at positives in a game like this it is tough to swallow the pill of what happened in this game but Bradenhoff's performance is a positive for Gonzaga in the short term and the long term. But there was no other bench performances. 
Ben Gregg had five rebounds and two steals. He didn't score a point. All of his field goal attempts came from three. Was not getting around the rim, was not getting offensive rebounds, was not contributing offensively. He had 22 points against San Diego. He puts up a goose egg in this one. He also went 0 of 2 from the free throw line. Gonzaga was 10 of 14 from the free throw line, so that wasn't a, a weakness, but Greg goes 0 of 2. Ryan Embarge missed the front out of 1 of 1, and that's how you lose. That's how you lose the game. Tough, tough stuff for Gonzaga. We're going to transition as best we can, but don't worry. We'll be back next week. We'll talk more about this loss. We'll talk more about the Gonzaga being out of the AP poll, what it means for them, what their path going forward. We're going to continue to have that conversation. It's not fun to talk about Gonzaga after a loss. It's not something I've had to do very often on this podcast because Gonzaga doesn't lose very often at the start of the year. But it is it is the reality of the situation we're in right now. So we're going to continue to have that conversation next week. But for now, we are going to transition to talk about an international big man that Gonzaga is pursuing in the class of 2025. Some exciting updates on this young man. All that coming up after a word from today's sponsor, Game Time. If, the, if your New Year's resolution is to go out on the town more often in 2024, you need to check out Game Time, the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all of the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guarantee, Game Time is exactly what you need. Folks shouldn't have to worry about when, you, when you're buying tickets to your next big event, and thankfully, Game Time has got you covered because they have deals on tickets right up to the start of the event and even an hour after it starts. Game Time is the place to find last-minute tickets. Take the guesswork out of buying tickets with Game Time right now. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use promo code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off your first purchase. Again, create an account, redeem code LOCKEDONCOLLEGE for $20 off. Terms apply. Download Game Time today. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices, guaranteed. Closing out the show today, putting the Santa Clara game in the rear view mirror, at least for now, and talking about Julius Halifanoa, a six foot 11, 245 pound big man from New Zealand who is currently playing at the NBA Global Academy in Canberra, Australia. And we're talking about him because the Zags are talking to him. That's the conversation here. Great article from Travis Branham at 247 Sports. I will post a link in the show notes to the article he talked to Halafanoa about his recruiting about the kind of where he's at right now this young man is not on any he's not really showing up on recruiting services with rankings that's likely because international players tend to not be scouted the same way that current high school players are scouted so there's just not a lot of data on him in terms of how to compare him to the rest of the 2025 class now Branham has labeled him as a four-star caliber talent and I think that's the best that we're going to have to go off of right now, uh, knowing what we know about the NBA Global Academy and the success of players coming from that particular institution, uh, knowing what we know about the competition level he has faced, the videos that we have seen. Uh, again, you're only going off of so much data, but I'll tell you what, I trust Gonzaga's ability to recruit internationally better than anybody. If they're identifying somebody internationally, there is a pretty good sign that that player is going to come to the United States and have success. And Halafanoa is not only being pursued by Gonzaga, he is being pursued by two other schools in Marquette and Georgetown. We're going to talk about his recruitment. I do want to read his description of himself 
as a player because it is interesting for a player at 6'11 and 245 pounds. This is his direct quote, again, from this article written by Branham at 247 Sports. Halifanoa says, I think my game is about finding my open teammates. I play with my eyes up and always find my teammates. I can stretch the floor and score from all three levels. And I guess that's what makes my game different from other bigs my size. I think from a young age, I have never been a score first. I've always been pass first. I've always had the ability to pass the ball, and then my shooting range just came up from consistently doing it over and over. A player who describes himself as being pass first and a three-point shooter, typically they're not 6'11". Typically that's not the position that they play, but this is what makes this young man so special. This is what makes Gonzaga's interest in him uh, unsurprising. This is the kind of player they have pursued in the past, uh, and it's why he's getting interest from not only Gonzaga, but two premier programs in the Big East. I know Georgetown has not been good lately, but Ed Cooley is a very, very good recruiter. And so the fact that those are the three schools showing interest is a really good indication that this young man has the potential to be a high-level Division I college basketball player. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, based on his quotes right now, it does not sound like Gonzaga is as heavily involved in the recruitment. And I say it doesn't sound like it. That's exactly what he said. <laughs> a direct quote from Halifanoa talking about Gonzaga. He says, not as much as Marquette and Georgetown, but looking at their history of bigs, they do an amazing job with them and international players. They are definitely a school to look out for. So that's what he had to say about Gonzaga. And look, reading into a player's quote to a reporter about their recruitment, when they are not coming to college until 2025, it's a little over the top. We don't need to read too much of this. Yes, right now at this moment, it does sound like Gonzaga is not as involved as Marquette or Georgetown. That does not mean that will not change. In fact, Hal Fanoa said specifically he is not scheduling official visits yet because he is waiting to see, to, to get more conversation with other schools. He did specifically say the three schools right now that are on his mind for official visits are Marquette, Georgetown, and Gonzaga. So he is considering an official visit to Gonzaga. He is waiting to schedule official visits until he has more conversations with other schools. Worth acknowledging that Shaka Smart went and met him in person when the NBA Global Academy from Australia came and played in Bradenton, Florida. So Shaka has, has put in more of an effort than Gonzaga's staff has up to this point. That is probably going to help them a little bit in that recruitment. Uh, Georgetown, I don't know how seriously they have pursued him. Obviously, they are not on the same caliber as Gonzaga and Marquette from a basketball perspective right now. But again, Ed Cooley is a good recruiter and perhaps he can make uh, some noise here. Halfanoa could reclassify to 2024. He has not decided yet. A lot of international players do class up. It is not uncommon. For Gonzaga, I don't, I mean, they're not going to tell him what to do, certainly, but I don't think they really need him to reclass to 2024. For guards, that would make some sense. You want to get some guard depth in here sooner rather than later. For a big next year, you're, you're going to lose Anton Watson, but presumably you'll have Graham E.K., Braden Huff, uh, you'll have Pavle Stoshich, you'll have Ben Gregg back. The year after that, in 2025, Ben Gregg will be out the door. Graham E.K. will be out the door. So you'll have more room for front court additions. In theory, that could be an advantage for Gonzaga in a recruitment of like, hey, we're really excited to have you in here. Uh, if you want to come in 24, great. Uh, you can you know, spend a year developing behind the scenes and step into a bigger role in 25. If you want to come in 25, great. You can compete for playing time right away. They have the ability to kind of sell them on that stuff, of course. With transfer portal era, we never really know what exactly the roster is going to look like, but that is kind of the way Gonzaga can potentially frame this. For Gonzaga, the biggest selling point here is going to be, as Halifanoa said in his quote, Gonzaga's success with bigs and with internationals, and frankly, with international bigs. 
because that's been one of their biggest selling points uh, in their storied history from recruiting. They've, you've got your DeMontis Sabonises, your Shema Karnowskis, your Roni Turioffs, your Philip Petrusevs, your Killian Tillies. International bigs come to Gonzaga and thrive. This has been a stalwart of Gonzaga's system since Tommy Lloyd was here and since Tommy Lloyd has left. It has continued to be an area of strength for Gonzaga to recruit internationally, add high-level players, develop them within the system, and watch them blossom, watch them turn into NBA players. It is hard for somebody like Halifanoa to ignore that and to not see that. And his skill set is something that Gonzaga loves bigs that they can play at the top of the key. We see it with this system all the time. If you can get the ball at, you know, 22, 26 feet away from the rim, turn and face, make an entry pass, fake a pump shot, uh, shot, or at least drive to the rim, or just shoot it if you're capable of doing that, you thrive in Gonzaga's offense. So the system seems to be setting him up well for success if he wanted to come to Gonzaga. Halfinoa is one of five Zags that the five players, excuse me, that the Zags are known to be interested in in the 2025 class. I know people have been concerned about the lack of players being pursued in the 2024 class. I think part of that is just having a relatively full roster with a lot of youth. They don't want to add more freshmen to a roster that's going to have a bunch of sophomores on it next year. I think they'd rather fill some of those roster spots with veterans next year after watching a game like we did. On Thursday night where Gonzaga struggled because of youth in a lot of ways, I can understand not wanting to add more freshmen for next year's class. But in 2025, they're pursuing Isaiah Harwell. We've talked about him and Nick Kamenia, both players who Gonzaga is currently favored to land in the 2025 class. Uh, we talked about their rankings on on Three's website on Tuesday for 24-7 sports. Harwell is 7th. Kamenia is 52nd. Zags are also pursuing Jalen Harrelson, although he has not listed Gonzaga in his top list. They're also pursuing Efiosa Oliogu, who has not listed Gonzaga in his list either, although they only recently got involved in his recruitment. Those players are ranked 11th and 30th, respectively. Again, Halifanoa is not ranked currently, but is considered a four-star talent and a name to keep an eye on for the Zags uh, as a potential target in that 2025 class. That's going to wrap it up for today and for this week. I hope everybody has a good weekend. I know we're going to be sad about the game, but we will be back on Monday. We'll be continuing to talk about this game, about the AP poll and the likely end of that streak, about the potential of Gonzaga not making the NCAA tournament. We might have a conversation about what it might look like if they don't, what they need to do to make sure they get there, all that good stuff. It's not the most fun conversations here on Locked on Zags anymore, but that is the reality of the situation. Gonzaga's got Pepperdine and San Diego next week, hopefully another opportunity to pick up two wins and at least build some goodwill as they get closer and closer to the matchup against St. Mary's on February 3rd and then Kentucky the week after that. Have a great weekend. We'll be back next week, and until then, as always, even after a loss, go Zags.